Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to On Fire with Jeff Probst. That's me, and this is the only podcast that takes you inside the making of Survivor from the producer's point of view. I'm the host and showrunner of Survivor, and each week I am joined by two other television producers, Brittany Crapper, who is a supervising producer on Survivor. Hi. And Jay Wolf, an independent producer and the producer of this podcast. Hey there. All right, let's set up today's show. Our featured topic is the birthing of a big theme, like Ghost Island or Redemption Island. It could also be a casting theme, fans versus favorites, brains, brawn, beauty. We're going to talk about why we do them and how we get them to where we think they're going to work. Plus, how Winners at War was designed to be the end of an era and the near disaster that Survivor 41 was going to be if not for Mike White of Survivor and White Lotus fame. Plus, your questions and one lucky person gets to tell me why I suck. But first, let's get inside Episode 7 of Survivor 44. I'll just brag on the team. I thought this was an incredible episode. Not just of Survivor, but of television in general. <laughs> I really did. I, I it's remarkable I in agree. so many ways. And I, I would just say that it it starts and ends with the casting. This is why we spend so much time looking for these these people. I mean, look at Matt. Uh, he, he explained so beautifully that he was this broken-winged bird who has emerged into the sunlight. That's pretty amazing, being that vulnerable. Super inspiring. I feel like it's what we keep saying. The people really do make this show great. 
Yeah, it was really amazing to watch. And I know I'm a broken record, but I'm Matt's biggest fan. So <laughs> I was right there with him. We all love Matt. All right. So I did notice a new twist in that you divided the tribe into groups of five and the losers went to tribal council. Why did you do that? Well, we kind of have spoken to this before, but when you have smaller tribes and less people to be voted for, then there's nowhere to hide. And it just makes the game that much more dangerous. And when you make it random... So now you might end up with somebody from your alliance who will help protect you. You might end up with no one from your alliance. So that unexpected, unpredictable twist also impacts the game. And I think what made this unique, obviously, is that you have two groups of five and you have one individual winner on, on both ends and they're going to have immunity. But you have this bigger stake, which is the last person left standing not only wins immunity for themselves, they win immunity for the group. That was huge stakes. Totally. And safety without power came back in a new way. Exactly. That's exactly how it comes to be is you have something and then you look at how could we see this from a different viewpoint? What if five people had safety without power? And I have to say, look at that challenge. Look at the variety of people that were there. Height, weight, strength, weakness, tall, short, whatever. Who wins it all? Franny, I bring this up because that is our job is to create challenges that there is enough variety in them that on any given day, anyone can win. Franny was so proud of herself. Right. I mean, she was up against an ex-NFL player. Exactly. And so when you put that necklace around her, you can feel her body trembling. She should. It's a pretty epic moment. Yeah, it is an epic moment. But I had the th I have to say I had the thought. If she would have just stepped off, she could have saved Matt and saved herself from <laughs> a whole lot of heartbreak. <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure Franny's standing up there thinking about her game and what she can accomplish. Right. And this is, you know, this is about her in this moment, not necessarily her saving Matt. Well, there was another unexpected moment that came out of this, which was that Matt didn't have his bag. And I was just curious, does that happen a lot? What's the situation there? With Matt and his bag, in his defense, they've been going to challenges for a while now and after every challenge, they normally return back to their camp. So after a while, you're like, oh, I'm tired. Do I have to carry my bag and my water bottle? I'll just bring my water bottle today because they assume they're going back to their camp. This was a new twist. And it's a fair assumption to make, but it is also a reminder that history is merely an indicator <laughs> right. of what might happen in the future. So in this case, it, he didn't bring his bag and he didn't have a shot in the dark to play at tribal council. So, you know, future players... Do with that, you know, what you want. <laughs> Don't go anywhere without your bag. Maybe. <laughs> the, the, next, the next piece that was super fun to watch was the race to the advantage um, and the new advantage in the cage. The coverage was extraordinary. Is that something that you plan for in advance like that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. In this case, yes. And I was really impressed mm. with what they pulled off. And it's this idea that we've talked about, which is planning for the unexpected, because they know everybody's going to run around. They know where the keys are, but they don't know who's going to find the key. They don't know in what order they're going to come back. So you, you have this idea of how to approach it, but then everybody that's involved, all the shooters, all the producers, you're, it's sort of a live event and you're modifying and adapting as you go. What I also thought was really clever in our editing was Typically, when somebody finds the idol or they find the advantage, the music builds mm. and there's a crescendo and they go, I got it. And you hear the orchestra and it's really happy and they're crying. In this case, there's all these fake outs. So you don't know who's going to get it. And then finally, when somebody does get it, there's no music. It was a completely different approach. 
it affects you emotionally a little bit. You know, it keeps you on edge as well because you can't anticipate what's coming because we don't always indicate with our music what is going to happen. And how do you decide what advantage goes in the cage in that situation? Well, that's a really good question. So we knew what was going to happen. One group of players will be safe and they're going to go back to camp. They can't vote. So then you think, ah, they, they can't vote. That's fun, but it's missing something. You know what? We, when we get to this part of the show, there should be an advantage that only those five can get. And it can't help any of them. It can only help or hurt somebody who's at tribal council. And in that case, control the vote, which was a new idea we had, felt great because it's public. So the person who finds the advantage has to say publicly, I am going to control your vote, Jay. And then they have to tell Jay who to vote for. So not only is it personal in that I'm in charge, it's also revealing I'm in charge and here's who I want to receive a vote. So when you find that, it's good news, bad news. Good news is you're in charge. Bad news is you're going to expose what you're thinking. And then the question at that point is, what is Heidi's real agenda? What is she trying to accomplish? Yeah, this episode kept me on my toes. And then all of a sudden I got to tribal council and I didn't want it to end because it was so <laughs> emotional and I was feeling so many feelings. Yeah, I was emotional too. I cried. Yeah. I, I mean, you have Matt talking so openly about social anxiety. And I still remember sitting at that tribal council and thinking there are so many people who are going to watch this that also have social anxiety. And they're going to see somebody who braved it in the most public of ways. You're going to take social anxiety and thrust yourself into the most unfamiliar environment you can. And we're going to watch you all over the world. People are going to watch you deal with it. Matt is one of my favorite all-time players, if for no other reason than how he expressed his vulnerability and let us see it and wasn't embarrassed by it. In fact, he was proud and he grew. It's no wonder Franny has a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. And then you also had Jam Jam saying, yes, I deflect with humor to protect myself. It's very vulnerable. And there are people that have said to me that in this new era, we're too emotional and there's too many inspiring stories. Well, then we might not be the show for you because this is where we are. This is where our team feels we need to be. There's a lot going on. And it's nice to see something that's fun and funny and entertaining, but also beautiful and real and human. That was really well said. <laughs> and I think that we need to just have a quick moment for this beautiful Shakespearean loss that we experienced in this episode. And Franny and Matt, I still believe in you. And I'm <laughs> going to uh, be available to supervise that road trip as soon as you guys are ready for it. All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, our featured topic, the birthing of a big theme. Be right back. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but 
effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash Survivor. Go to Indeed.com slash Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com survivor. Hi, welcome back. Let's get into our featured topic, the birthing of a big theme. So I'll give the context of what a big theme means to us. That's something that is season long. It probably involves a significant twist. Not always. It could be cast related. It might have a unique visual component and it might push the boundaries of the format in a new direction. Could have any of the above, a combination of the above, but you get the idea. So the, the seasons we're going to talk about today are Redemption Island, Ghost Island, David versus Goliath, Edge of Extinction, Winners at War, and the rebirth new era of the game with Survivor 41, including what it almost was. I even cracked open some of our old creative Bibles uh, for this cool. episode. This is going to be good. So what we're endeavoring to do is to give you an idea of the different ways in to a big idea on Survivor, how we pull them off, and why we do them in the first place. I feel like before we get into that, though, we should clarify, because these aren't all of our themes. Those are our right. big themes. We do have other smaller themes. Okay, you're right. Let's So smaller themes, themes that are just as important, they're just not as big in terms of having to birth them, would mm -hmm. be blood versus water. That was Lynn Spillman's idea, our, our casting director at the time. It's not big, but it's really interesting. It, it has one great question. Can you vote out a family member? Can a mom vote out her daughter? That was a really good season, won by Tyson. Mm -hmm. We did a brains versus brawn versus beauty. That central premise was you have brains that uses intellect to get through life. Brawn would use their physical abilities to get through life. And then there was a big debate. Is beauty a quality that you use to get through life? And I, I remember arguing it saying, well, it'll open doors faster than brain or brawn. Mm. So I would say, yes, it is a quality that you still have to have something when you get in the door, but it will open the door. That was another great season one by Tony. Mm. Fans versus favorites is another example of a smaller theme, but really interesting because you have fans who are not just meeting their heroes, they're playing with and against them. And that, that is some of the people's favorite season where Parvati won 
And then we did it again in Cochrane one, both returning players, by the way. But let's get into our big themes. Yeah, let's start with Survivor 22 Redemption Island. Where'd that idea come from? That came directly from my childhood. I, I played baseball as a kid and we were in Wichita, Kansas, but every summer we would drive to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where they had red clay and these beautiful fields. And when you got up to the plate, even though you were a kid, they would announce your last name. You really, you'd knock the dirt off your cleats. I mean, it really <laughs> felt like you were, and my, you know, my parents would drive us there and we'd be there for the weekend. But if you lost the first game and you were out, it would have been so disappointing, but they had a loser's bracket. <laughs> did, you lo- did you lose a lot, Jeff? Yes. <laughs> and so, but what was great is, okay, you're down, but you're not out. You could win your way back to the final. It would be tough and the odds are against you, but you have a chance. That's a point of view, having a loser's bracket. I like the loser's bracket because... Once you put your uniform on, you want to play. Well, it's the same thing on Survivor. Once you get out there, you want to play. You don't want to be voted out first and go home. So that was the idea. This is one of those ideas, though, that fans are often split on. They either like it or they don't. Yeah, and I get that because that means those fans have a point of view as well. If you don't like Redemption Island, you probably don't like it because you like pure Survivor. When you're voted out, you're out. No argument against that. I totally get it. Okay, so you have this point of view. How does that then become a theme on the show? Typically, I would write a Bible. Uh, Lots of shows have Bibles just to kind of tell you the philosophy of what the show is about or whatever. I pulled my Bible out from July 18th, 2010. And what the Bible does is gets everybody on the same page. Every single department gets it so there's no confusion. And it would share the idea, the philosophy, the approach, the kinds of interviews we should conduct, the types of stories we're focusing on, if there are visual elements. And so when I looked through it, I was pleasantly surprised that it had it all there. You could go do this season right now if you just read this. It, it had the number of episodes. It had where Redemption Island would live, what island. It also had that Rob and Russell would be returning players, how they're going to arrive via helicopter, how we're going to reveal the twist to the players. And it also had all the mechanics. What happens at tribal with their torch? Because they're voted out, but they're still in the game. How do they get to Redemption Island via boat? What does Redemption Island look like? That was a big conversation with the art department. Could we make it like Rome and the Colosseum and the Gladiator Arena and that kind of a thing? Where are the duels going to take place? And how does the loser exit the game for good? Which we ended up saying, instead of your torch, you've already lost your torch. So your second (laughs) loss, you take your buff and throw it in the fire. And that was a very cinematic and, you know, big uh, emotional moment to take off your buff and watch it burn. So, Britt, you get to see these Bibles then. What are they like? Dense. (laughs) Okay. I'll own that. They can be dense, but there's two key elements to any of these ideas that that make them work. And this is it. Everybody who touches this idea, story producer, art department, challenge department, they all bring their point of view to the idea. That's when the idea blossoms. So even in the case of Redemption Island, I might've had the original idea, but it comes to life because of the team. Yeah, I mean, an idea is just an idea unless it's executed well. Our team works really, really hard to make sure that we execute. And the memorable moments from Redemption Island were Russell had Russell Hans had played twice. 
and he'd made it to the final three both times. He had never been voted out. So when he finally lost at Redemption Island and he threw his buff and it was the first time he was officially out of the game, that was a big moment because people either loved Russell or they hated him, but they weren't in the middle. Right. So people were either sad he was out because he's fantastic to watch or they were happy that he finally got it. Mm. But it was a big moment. And then Rob went on to win the season despite being the only returning player left in the game. Same as Parvati yep. and fans versus favorites and Tyson and exactly. blood versus water. I don't know. Coincidence? I don't think so. I mean, Great. players who have played, they know how to play. They've got a little bit of an advantage, maybe. Great players. Right. And Redemption Island was a big deal because it altered the format in a big way. It did. And clearly, breaking through that wall opened up a lot of ideas because it wasn't going to be the last time that we broke the format. <laughs> Are you ever afraid those ideas aren't going to work? Always. But here's the thing, Brittany. If you don't continue to push and try new ideas, then what are you doing? You're just sitting on old ideas or, or existing ideas and you risk being boring, not only to the fans, but to the players and to yourself. So I, I just feel like we have to continue to push and grind and find new ways to play the same game over and over and over so that it always has some level of freshness to it. And we get a lot of emails from fans at the Survivor Shoutout at CBS.com, where you can email too, saying that they love the theme seasons and, and want them to come back. There's one from here from Benjamin that says he thinks they're the best. He wants to see more of them. Case in point. There you go. There's somebody who hates Edge of Extinction and there's somebody who loves Edge of Extinction. So what are you left to do? You have to follow your own muse wherever yeah. it takes you. Well, I want to talk about Edge of Extinction, but before we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit about Ghost Island because that was clearly a different approach. <laughs> what, what? How would you describe Ghost Island? It was very spooky, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but for real? No, I think it was. It was a. It was clearly like a haunted house, but a haunted house in the way that, like, you kind of know a haunted house is a little fake. Yeah, it was kind of silly. Yeah, and that that was the conceit we knew going in. Even the notes that were in the game would say things like feeling lucky <laughs> or did you win or lose? Nope. Wrong. It just, it had a little bit of bite to it. Where did that idea come from? Ghost Island. I had that name for years and I really could never figure anything out. And one season I was desperate. Anxiety was kicking in. What are we going to do? So I just started writing and I would just sit there and write and write, trying to will it to come out. And then one day I figured it out. Ghost Island is an island that is haunted by all the bad decisions of past players. And that was it. And everything was informed by that decision. It's a haunted house season. And then the next idea was what if every advantage or idol that we used in Ghost Island was actually an authentic idol or advantage from a previous season that had been misplayed. So we'd get all those real idols and advantages back from the players. Some of them we had to get from collectors. Remember, we had to call this right. one guy and yeah. had to convince him to let us use wow. it. Yeah, and he didn't believe it was me. And said, <laughs> Trust me, it's me. You sound pretty iconic. <laughs> <laughs> and then that led to the idea that these idols and advantages are cursed. And that led to a question that we used in the show, which is, can you reverse the curse or will they come back to haunt you again? And there's a great story attached to this season that when we get to location, we get everybody together and we're, we're going to have a big creative meeting about this idea. So we get a whiteboard out and, and I say, all right, let's just really drill down. What 
will this island be about? What's it going to look like? So let's just come up with every idea related to haunted houses. That was the question. So we start throwing out ideas, all the things you can think about, about a haunted house. John Kerhoffer at one point says, hey, what if we put speakers up in the trees and, and we played scary music? Ooh, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so, you know, on the surface, you go, oh, I don't know if that's the greatest idea, but we work really hard to not interrupt each other when we're pitching an idea because you never know when the seeds of even a little idea will blossom into a great idea. So I remember saying, all right, I don't know if we can do speakers, but you're making a great point that we want that ambiance. Like, you know, like we need a fog machine as well. Also a bad idea. <laughs> but what it led to was Dax, who was then our production designer, saying, I can give you that ambiance by burning coconut husk all day, and it will give you a natural low-level organic fog. Bingo. That's what we needed. And it, and if you watch that season, you can see the fog it rising and right. falling when people are walking through Ghost Island. That came from Kerhoffer saying speakers in the trees. And to this day, this is what will happen on location all the time, Jay, is you're walking by and somebody will stop you and they'll say, hey, speakers in the trees, dot, dot, dot. And they'll, they'll go on to have this idea. And everybody understands it might be half-baked, but it might lead somewhere. And I think it, it is... One of the secrets to our success in our brainstorming is that we give permission to people to say things that they fear might sound dumb. Yeah, and according to some folks on the internet, I do that on this podcast all the time. <laughs> oh, you're already getting criticized? Just a little bit, but it's okay. I can take it. No. Maybe we should add a J. This is why you suck. I would prefer not to open that door if that's okay. <laughs> all right, we won't torture you. Uh, let's move forward because I actually, I'm curious about David versus Goliath, season 37. Sort of seems like David Goliath is a name you could have given any season right. of Survivor, really, right? Like underdogs versus heroes, yeah. big strong versus the weakling. Like what made you finally decide to label it? Well, you're 100% right. I thought the same thing. Not, not really even a great title because it's, it's a cliche. I mean, we use it to describe all sorts of things, especially lots of sporting events. But then one day... And I always feel like I'm proclaiming that this breakthrough is something big. <laughs> Remember, it's me. This is just my own little personal victory. But I was really, again, desperate for an idea. And I'm like, David versus Goliath. Why can't this work on Survivor? Survivor is David versus Goliath. And then I figured out something. It should center not around David versus Goliath. It should center around how do you define the word advantage? Because if you think of the premise, David was the weakling or the underdog and Goliath was the strong or the favorite. But in that story, David beats Goliath because they, he uses an unexpected approach that the Goliath didn't see coming. So the question I wrote down in this original creative document was, it's not about who has the advantage, it's about what is the advantage. And you can't know the advantage until you know the situation. So that sentence, which again, doesn't sound like much is where it turned for me because Survivor's unpredictable. So it works beautifully because until you know the situation on Survivor, you can't possibly know who's going to have the advantage. And that is pretty much what you ended up exploring in the season. Yes, we went for it. We cast 10 Goliaths on a tribe. Strong, fit, beautiful, silver spoon, smart, educated, everything. Mike White. Mike White. <laughs> and then we put 10 Davids 
which are people who've had to overcome tremendous odds their entire life. I remember when we were on a big barge and we dropped this sign that said David versus Goliath and the Goliaths realized, wait a minute, you're keeping us together as a tribe. And there was kind of laughter, like this is not a fair fight, but what they didn't know is what was coming. So now we get into the first challenge straight out of the gate in which we were going to test this idea of advantage. So we said to the Goliath, you get to pick your two strongest and their two weakest. So now at this point, the assumption is, well, the Goliaths clearly have the advantage. They're already stronger. You're already weaker. And we just exploited that even more. But you don't know the situation. So the second half of that challenge was to the David tribe. Now that you know who's running, you decide which part of the challenge you want the Goliaths to complete and which parts of the challenge you have to complete. So now the Davids select what they think the Goliaths will struggle with and what they will have success with. So now we know what the situation is and now we can watch and see who really has the advantage. And if you remember that season, we run the challenge and it ends with Christian Hubicki doing a slide puzzle in literally like seven that seconds. That's so great. Crazy. And the Davids defeat the Goliaths. And when it was over, I, I asked Christian about that and he goes, it wasn't really a fair fight. I built slide puzzle algorithms in college. It was the David who said, sorry, it wasn't really a fair fight. So that was a great day because it fulfilled the promise of the title that this would be a battle. And in that season, a David won. All right. Now let's get into everybody's favorite season. <laughs> Edge of Extinction, season 38. <laughs> hey, why do you say it like that? I just think there might be some folks who maybe it wasn't their favorite season. Yeah, a lot of people don't like that second chance idea. I can say that this was slightly different for me. And now I'm really going to get a lot of this is why you suck about this, but I'm going to be completely honest. Edge of Extinction was a spiritual idea. And, and that was what drove me from the very first moment of thinking about it was, could we push players to go deeper than they even go on Survivor? And to answer the question, it's sort of an existential question of why are you here? And so the premise was, if we could build a world, Edge of Extinction, that was hard enough, could it push a player to a spiritual death and rebirth? And I totally get it, even the way you're looking at me, it's, it's ooey-ooey, heady stuff or whatever. That is the absolute truth behind this season. And I remember pitching it to CBS. <laughs> I think it was Kelly Call. And I, I remember a lot of, hmm, yeah, uh-huh, right, spiritual... Are you, uh, will you, uh, just curious, are there still going to be challenges? <laughs> you're going to have tribal, you're going to still say all those little phrases you say, like, uh, got nothing for you. But once again, CBS, so cool with us, so trusting, said, try it. It sounds a, a, like a lot, but give it a shot. And I got to say, it was one of the most enjoyable experiences, I think, for our, our entire team, because everybody was so into it. There was so much for us to chew on there. What do you mean by chew on there? Well, let's take it from a, an art design standpoint. You know, we get with the art department and we decide, okay, here's the story. Edge of Extinction is a place where a boat apparently crashed here at some point because there's remnants of a boat and a mast and a sail. So they clearly salvaged what they could, but it wasn't much. And we had a shelter there, but it wasn't a shelter. There was no cover from the rain. It was just a few boards left over from this shipwreck that had happened. And... Whoever crashed there apparently died there. 
So the question we were posing is, they didn't survive. Will you? I think you could feel that. It felt like they were going to, the sand was going to blow over and you'd see a skeleton lying there. I love hearing that because that is what we were going for. And then we had a visual design from a cinematic point of view. This was the most in-depth Scott Duncan and I, this amazing DP. Scott Duncan is responsible for so many of the cool looks on our show. Going back to season one, Scott's one of the few people that have been there every single day. He designed that original opening Survivor sequence, the main title sequence that was copied by so many shows for years after that. So Scott, I tell him this idea and he just takes over and he goes, I got it. And he builds his own visual Bible and sends it back to us. And it had a very specific look because what we wanted to convey was how brutal it was on Edge of Extinction. It had to look different than a normal interview on a Survivor beach. We wanted to go next level, dirt in pores, scratches on faces. So Scott comes back and says, all right, here's the lens we're going to shoot with. Here's the height of the tripod. Here's the distance from the subject. It'll only be lit by fire. All of these very specific things. That was how we were going to create this look. I remember being out there and it was it was Reem that was first voted out. And I remember us thinking like, is she going to go to Edge of Extinction? It was a really big question. And do you remember, because it's important to the story, why she was voted out? No. She was voted out. They were very clear in saying, you're too much of a mom. Right. I don't need you hanging up my laundry. Just mind your own business. So it was, it was pretty personal mm-hmm. that they didn't like the way she conducted herself. So Reem gets voted out. And the way we set it up was you walk out of tribal and you just keep walking and you keep walking and she keeps walking. And then she reaches a fork in the jungle where there's a sign that basically says you can uh, go home or you can get in the boat and continue on. And of all the people to go to edge of extinction, as you say, she's the least likely she got in the boat. So there was something inside her saying, I'm not finished, even though they have just told me they don't even want me here. So she takes a torch. The way it worked is you grabbed a torch and you got on the boat. And that torch only had about 20 minutes of fuel that we put in there. So we knew how long it would last her. So she gets on the boat, she gets to the edge of extinction, and she's got just enough flame left to do a quick tour of the island and realize she is literally alone in the middle of an island with no ambient light. That torch goes out and it is pitch black. And the last line she said in that episode was, I don't know if I can do this. So that was the beginning of what was a spiritual journey for Reem. And what ended up happening was she reached a bottom. She nearly quit Edge of Extinction, her spiritual death. But instead of giving up, she stayed and she fought through it. And she had a lot of time to think about what she had learned about herself in those first three days, some tough emotional days, I'm sure. But it led to a breakthrough. And the breakthrough was... I don't need to be a mom to everyone. Spiritual rebirth. Mm. She spent the entire time there, became a one-name player who was still really respected by all Survivor fans because of what she did. So that was the payoff to the idea, if you build it, will they come? I'm curious, Jeff, if you feel the same way, but I feel like that was the first time that we got to know a player on such a deep level, and it was great. Like, maybe that was our turning point for us to spend more time getting deeper into the contestants and, like, their transformations. I never thought of that, but I think you're right. And we've not stopped doing it since then, and we're fully leaning into it right now in 41, 42, 43, 44. 
All right, we have two left, and I think they're connected. You've said that season 40, Winners at War, was designed to be the end of an era. How did you arrive there? Well, it all starts with the theme doing all winners, which was not my idea. I came in to pitch. We we had a group of people. Let's what do we want to do for 40? It's our 40th season. Let's do something really fun. I pitched a few ideas. I don't even remember what they were. It was Kelly Call, who was the president of CBS at the time, who said, What about all winners? And I so casually dismissed it. I was like, Yeah, we can't get 20 winners to do it. He goes, Well, just curious, have you called and talked to him? And I said, uh, no, actually, <laughs> I've not. Have you applied at cbssurvivorcasting.com? Exactly. I just answered as though I already knew, but I hadn't called anybody. So I said, okay, let me give them a call. And sure enough, one by one, yeah, that sounds really fun. A, a, a winter season? Is that what you're talking about? Well, I can't say, but, you know, yeah, we'd like you to come back. Probes, it's going to be a winter season. It's 40. I mean, I know what's <laughs> happened. Well, I can't really say, but would you like to do it? Yes, I'd like, I already told you I'd like to do it. So once we had 20 winners... We knew we could do the season, and then it became how do you frame it? And the very first and only an obvious idea was it's a battle. And what was great was it was in line with something that had been stirring inside me, which is I felt like the players were so smart that they had figured out this. They knew when the merge, they knew the twist, they knew the kinds of idols. It was very hard to be ahead of them anymore. So it kind of coincided nicely to design it this way. This will be the end of this era, and we will settle the score once and for all by bringing 20 great players in one final battle, and we will give them the weapons, the advantages, and the idols to essentially kill each other, to vote each other out. And in the end, you will crown, you know, arguably, the greatest player of all time. So that was the big idea, and it would then birth a new era of Survivor, which was going to be an economy-based game in which you bought everything. So money will enter the society. That's why the fire tokens are in Survivor 40. They were supposed to be in Survivor 41 because I had this whole big idea about, won't it be fascinating to see what happens when money enters a society? And I was so excited by it that in the creative Bible for, for 41, I wrote the ending of Survivor like it was a novel. Do you want me to read that? I would love that. We'll take oh, a break yeah. and we'll do that when we come back. All right, welcome back to On Fire with Jeff Probst. Okay, so we've decided that Survivor 40 will be the end of an era. And I have a big idea for Survivor 41. I'm so excited about this idea that I wrote it like a novel at the start of our creative Bible. So, Jay, if you just give me a little music, I will commit to the read, even though it may be the single corniest thing I have ever written. (laughs) All right, here we go. The History of Survivor, Chapter 40, The War. When the war came, it was brutal. They all came, from legends who had long since laid down their weapons, to young upstarts getting their first taste of real war. A war they would battle until only one remained, and that warrior would lay claim to a title that could never again be disputed, the greatest of all time. And when the war was over, there was nothing left, only the ashes from a civilization that would be no more. 
and what rose from those ashes would signal the dawn of a new era. <laughs> I think you need to add novelist to your list of <laughs> things you do. But think about it. I actually wrote this and sent it out. I was that committed. So it goes on to explain what will happen in episode one is that in episode one of Survivor 41, we will start with the sounds of the war that preceded this new era. So you would hear comments from the players in S40, you know, the, them saying things like, well, I left it all out there. I'll never go back again. Nothing will ever be the same again. Combined with images of their last fire, those last burning embers and their shelter that's starting to fall down, actual images from Survivor 40. And then through that, the sun would rise and we would transition into the opening moments of Survivor 41. We even made a logo. Zach made a logo of that. It is a sunrise and it says Survivor 41, dawn of a new era. We're fully committed to this idea. Okay, so you talked about this economy. I would love to know exactly how it was going to okay, work. Okay, so it was going to be a survivor economy, and the question was, how will this change the society if you have to earn tokens and then buy everything? So we were ready to go, and then COVID hit, and we were postponed. And so I'm in my garage, and I got five whiteboards. I literally been working on this for almost a year. In fact, my friend Elon Lee had built us an algorithm so that you could put any price you wanted for any item. So we imagine we have a long list of items. You can buy palm fronds, you can buy rice, you could buy a fishing gear, whatever. And you can change the fire token amount and see how it will change the economy. We're in deep, so deep, Brittany, that the place you would do all of your survivor shopping <laughs> was going to be called the trading post. Huh. And so this is where you would show up and you would have your five fire tokens and you would want to buy something. And so you'd walk up to the trading post and you'd hear a voice saying, what can I do you for? And the voice would turn around and it was going to be Rick Devins. Does he know this? <laughs> oh, Rick no, Devins. <laughs> I never even asked him, but that was in my head was, what if Rick Devins came out and became the shop owner? He's so funny and it would be so fun that he knows the game. But today I'm just selling advantages and you don't have enough tokens, partner. You know, that, that kind of thing. So I am really genuinely so pumped by this, even though I knew it was really complicated. So I call Mike White who had been on Survivor, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what he was doing, but he was e evidently editing this show that was going to become a hit called White Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> and I call him, and he goes, well, I'm editing it. It's going well. You know, I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. And I go, okay, enough about you. Can I pitch you <laughs> an idea? And I pitch him this long pitch. And bless his little heart. He goes, well, you know, I, I mean, I really trust you, Jeff. I only have one question does this sound fun? And I went, uh, I got to go. And I hung <laughs> up and I went into the garage and I ceremoniously erased every whiteboard without taking a photo, which is something I would oh, never no. do so that there was no record of it because I knew Mike was right. I was never coming back to this idea. He was absolutely right. This was the worst of all the bad ideas I've had. This was going to be the worst. I was going to ground the show to a halt, but I was ready to do it. <laughs> and so I get on the phone with Matt and we just tear into the idea of let's go fun, 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 fun. And given where we were with COVID and BLM and Me Too and political unrest, we needed fun. 
And so we stumbled upon the question, what's the best kind of survivor fund? The dangerous kind. And that's where we really found things like the beware advantage and the journeys and the risk reward games, penalties for losing, small tribes, limited supplies, all of that stuff. All of it really came from those three words. Is it fun? In the words of Mike White, let's fun. Let's fun. <laughs> let's fun. <laughs> I mean, is it crazy to look back at this and see how far you've come and how much things have changed? And yet haven't changed? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It's kind of an impossible question to answer, and Brittany's been along for a lot of the ride, but when you think about just the things we've talked about today, the blood versus water themes or fans' favorites, things like that, or redemption and ghost and edge of extinction, you know, giving one extra vote, and now we have fake idols in the game. It is a crazy evolution, but it is just that. It's just an evolution. It is one step at a time, one day after another, one season after another, and I think it comes back to the same thing, which is we take chances, we stay inspired, we're willing to risk failing in order to find something exciting. And I think the key is that we're asking our audience to have an open mind to new ideas with us understanding that doesn't mean they're going to like them. But, but what's great, like you mentioned, Edge of Extinction. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But you know what both those people have in common is they'll watch it and then they'll tell you. And so we have this really loyal audience that I don't think a lot of shows get, and they let us know what they like, but they stay with us, and that loyalty allows us to try new things. It's very unique, and I know it goes without saying, but I got to say it, we're <laughs> still on the air after 22 years because of the loyalty of our audience. And they give us the freedom to try new things, and then they tell us what they think. And I got to say, as just one member of that audience, if I see Rick Devins as a shopkeeper asking me what I can do him for, <laughs> I personally would really like it. Okay, so maybe in the future, we'll get a little Rick Devins out there. All right, Jay, let's get into questions. What do you have? A reminder, if you have a question, you can send them to us at survivorshoutout at cbs.com. I will read those questions and maybe I will read them here on air like this one. Hello, Jeff. I've always been curious about the survivors who wear glasses on the island. I assume whenever possible, they'd want to wear contact lenses during challenges, especially swimming. But often, people need to search for things underwater. As a glasses wearer who's been wanting to audition, I've always been nervous about this. That's from Michael. All right, well, first of all, I hope that's not the only reason you haven't auditioned is because wearing glasses is not a big deal. You can have glasses on the show. In fact, if you pay attention, a lot of times you will notice that players who wear glasses will take their glasses and put them at the end of the challenge where they're going to need them for the puzzle and then run the front of the challenge without them. And as far as contacts, well, Brittany, you're out on the beach a lot of yeah. times with that. Yeah, I mean, we we there's not like a sink where you can go look <laughs> in the mirror and put contacts in, but we do give them solution and like a contact case so that they can keep them clean if they need to. And for what it's worth, Brittany, we've had a lot of glasses-wearing players, including... John Cochran, who won the game. So come on and apply already. Okay, question number two. What happens while castaways are voting? Are the remaining people on the tribe able to do any whispering while sitting on the stools, reassuring that they'll vote for who they say they would? You tell the first castaway, you're up. Do you say that to everyone else? Christian. Well, so two questions in there. The first part, yeah, I say, Brittany, you're up. And then I would say each person's name. And the order in which people vote it is unimportant. It's just, we just have a structure to it so that each person knows when it's their turn, but it's there's no strategy to it or anything like that. In terms of what can happen while one person is voting, you're really not allowed to talk. But that doesn't mean people don't communicate because they do. 
They'll watch somebody get up and go vote, and they might just look at another player like, what a loser he is, or something like that. So, <laughs> so they're still communicating. But yeah, I mean, essentially, the conversation is over when they go vote. But I'm just saying, smart people, they have hand signals, they tug on an ear. There's all kinds of things going on there that I don't see. Okay, question number three. Hey, Jeff, a question popped in my head about a year ago, and I've thought about it every episode since. What happens to the vote parchments after you've read them to the contestants? Are they stored somewhere? Are they thrown away? Hope you have a great day, Sean. Hey, Sean, thanks for that question. Yes, we do keep the parchments, all of them. So at the end of every tribal council, there is somebody in the art department who works at tribal who is responsible for gathering all the votes, and then they seal them in a little pouch, and they label the episode and the date, and we just keep them in case for whatever reason we might need them, we have them. All right, Brittany, let's get to it. The part of the show where fans get to tell me what is wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) This is why you suck! All right, what do you got? All right. Probst, what happened? You used to be harsh with the contestants, which you should be. It's supposed to be harsh. It's survivor, not group therapy love time. (laughs) Why are you so nice to them now? Earl. All right, Earl. I hear what Earl is saying, and he's he's not wrong. In the early seasons, I was. De- it's hard for me actually to watch some of the earlier seasons, and not just because of the cowboy hats that I wore, <laughs> <laughs> but because I was harsh. I was short with people, and part of that was where the show was then, where our culture was then. Part of it was Mark Burnett's influence on the show. He had a very clear idea, and I think he was right in the beginning. I was not their friend. I was there to mediate or guide them. And if that meant they did something wrong, maybe I was there to scold them. You know, there was a lot going on back then, but I do feel more like an ambassador in a sense of the show today in terms of, I don't play Survivor. I've never played. I'm never going to play, but I appreciate people who do play. And I think it's a very difficult thing to take on. 39 days or 26 days, it's much easier to sit on the couch and judge people and criticize them than it is to get out there and do it. So even though I'm not their friend, I am impressed that they're doing amazing things. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm not impressed that they're doing amazing things. It's really that simple. All right. Next week on On Fire with Jeff Probst, we're going to do something. This could be a difficult challenge for us because we're going to try to take you inside our post-production process, which means how we edit a scene. But we're going to do it without pictures, even though television is a visual medium. So that'll be (laughs) our challenge. And we have a new episode of Survivor this Wednesday, 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Thank you for listening and thanks for rating and reviewing our podcast. We'll see you next week.